William Shakespeare, Leo Tolstoy, Charles Dickens, Jane Austen, rightfully placed among the world's distinguished authors, their literary classics, Hamlet, uh, War and Peace, Great Expectations, Pride and Prejudice, and more are all considered and recognized as the creme de la creme of literature. You don't even have to enjoy reading to know these names and these titles. Though perhaps not as famous, Charles Hamilton was an English short story author who used at least 25 different pen names and is considered by the Guinness Book of Records the most prolific author of history, writing an estimated 100 million words, the equivalent of 1,200 average-length novels. Incredible. Uh, consider J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings or C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. Such originality, genius, and mastery thrilling the imaginations of countless readers. The, the best authors are celebrated because they enthrall readers and move them towards some thought or feeling or or action with organized, intentional, and colorful words. Luke authored the best-selling book of Acts. In his first century biblical historical narrative of the incredible exploits of the Holy Spirit, Luke refers to Jesus Christ as an author, the author of life. Ulysses is considered a masterpiece brought forth by the creative genius of James Joyce, but how much greater a masterpiece is life itself brought forth by the divinely creative genius of the author of life, Jesus Christ. It is written of Jesus, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The son of God composing life. It's amazing. It was also written about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. Who is Hemingway? Dostoevsky, Steinbeck, or Twain? What is their creative genius compared to Jesus? Who has authored something as prominent and as profound and as precious as life? A best-selling book. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. But to compose life itself, incomprehensible. My dear friends, my aim today is quite simple. That you leave here astonished and confident that the author of life was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And in believing, you have life in his name. My point is basic. Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen author of life who gives eternal life to all who repent and turn to him in true faith. My hope is that in hearing the gospel of the author of life, you would have a sure knowledge of him and accept as true all that God has revealed to you in his word, that you possess a firm confidence that God has granted to you the forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace and only for the sake of Christ's merits. My hope is that the Holy Spirit works this true faith in your heart by the preaching of the gospel. Here's my simple outline. The impossible healing, the analogous salvation, the gospel sermon, the right response, and the unbeatable blessing. I begin with the impossible 
healing. After the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, Peter and John were in Jerusalem heading to the temple at the hour of prayer, approximately 3 o'clock p.m. They encountered a beggar sitting at a temple gate. The man was disabled, lame from birth. Every day people carried him to the temple to sit and to beg for alms. He had depended on others his entire life. Well, the man noticed Peter and John entering the temple. He thought he might receive some alms from them, and so he put it out there. He asked. The lame beggar's head must have been down because when Peter and John responded and said to him, look at us, the, the lame beggar lifted up his head and fixed his eyes in expectation on the apostles. Will God provide? Peter said to the man, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. If he has no money, what could he possibly give him? Peter continued, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, that was completely impossible. That doesn't happen. How could Peter give that, that precious gift to him? Well, Peter was a chosen and commissioned apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the position and the power to heal. When Peter said, rise up and walk, he gave the command in the power and the authority conferred to him directly by Christ. It was not human choice or ability or voice that brought the lame man to his feet, but the limitless power of the author of life. Working through Peter's command, Peter took the lame beggar by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately the man's feet and ankles were made strong. This is amazing. This is true. This was not like, not like the charlatans, the, the faith healers today, who keep the people with actual physical disabilities off the stage. No, this was a man with a lifelong paralysis healed instantly by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Luke tells us that leaping up, that's amazing, leaping up the man stood and began to walk. That lame beggar did what he had never done in his life before. Into the temple he went on his own two feet, walking and leaping and praising God in the sight of many witnesses. Now, over 700 years before this miracle, Isaiah prophesied and described what the kingdom of the Messiah would be like. Isaiah said, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That day, that poor lame beggar tasted of the restorative power of the king and the goodness of his eternal and celestial kingdom. This miracle gives you and me a glimpse of what restoration is like for those who live joyfully beneath the reign of the sovereign king. Now in Acts 2, Luke wrote that many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Signs are extraordinary acts performed to direct us somewhere else. The miracle is not the biggest point. Where does the sign of the healing of the lame beggar point you and me? Well, certainly to the restorative and saving power of Jesus and the legitimacy of the gospel preached 
by the apostles doing the signs, but there's, there's something else, and it's big. This brings us to the second point, the analogous salvation. A lame beggar leaping points us to Christ who saves people from their sin, guilt, and misery, and he gives them new life. See, like the beggar was lame from his birth and unable to walk on his own, we are all spiritually lame from birth and unable to obey God's law. No one is born into this world righteous. No one is born into this world good or virtuous or capable. Everyone is born incapacitated, guilty, and unable to do anything that pleases God. And our spiritually lame condition cannot be healed with silver or gold or possessions, or power, or fame, or technology, or science, or religion, or anything else. When it comes to our spiritual paralysis, before God, we are completely incapable and needy. We cannot walk in righteousness on our own because we are completely destitute of all righteousness. God has told us outright in his word, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The lame man sitting by the temple gate is meant to tell you something about your natural standing before God. Apart from Christ, you are spiritually lame and immobilized, and needy. And my friends, the, the historic and supernatural healing of that lame beggar is telling you something about Jesus Christ's compassion and power and ability to rescue sinners from their sin, guilt, and misery. Dear friends, please listen closely. One thing is able to heal your spiritual paralysis, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus has sufficient power to save us from the consequences of sin and raise us up to live a new life of joy and thankfulness in the rescuing grace of God. When that lame beggar leaped up, walked, and praised God, it was analogous to salvation, a picture describing what it's like when Jesus Christ rescues and restores sinners to live joyfully under his sovereign reign forever. A lame beggar leaping confirms for us that Jesus saves the worst of sinners, like you and like me. By his mercy and compassion and grace, Jesus heals hearts. He heals hearts and transforms sinners into saints to worship God in spirit and in truth forever. The bumper sticker is still true, my friends. Jesus saves. Jesus saves, which brings us to the next point, the gospel sermon. Peter healed the lame man in public with many spectators around, many eyewitnesses, skeptics who dismiss miracles like this one on the basis of reason or perhaps observable science should carefully consider the historical method and source criticism which presents well-attested eyewitness testimony of Jesus' miracles. It's pretty arrogant to think that we can refute well-attested history 2,000 years after it happened. Very arrogant. When Luke wrote Acts, eyewitnesses corroborated his, his account of this. Luke tells us what happened. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It was incontestable. That familiar 40-year-old lame beggar from his birth was now walking and leaping and praising God right before their eyes. Now, that demands an explanation. I want to know what happened. How is this possible? I know that guy. I saw that guy. I walked by him a ton of times, and now he's that guy? How does that happen? That day, the people in the temple were utterly astounded and ran to Peter, ran to John, ran to the lame man walking. They all gathered in the portico called Solomon's, a colonnade with two rows of columns on the eastern side of the temple's outer court in the court of the Gentiles, where Jesus taught. And uh, later, the apostles did regular signs and wonders. Peter had a captive audience, but it wasn't a Christian audience. He addressed them, men of Israel. They were unbelieving Jews who needed the gospel. There's so much here in Peter's sermon, just can't get into it all. But I want to highlight a few verses. Peter's listeners were the people who shouted Hosanna and later shouted crucify him. These were God-fearing, worship-attending, daily-praying, devout religionists who thought they knew God but didn't actually know God. Committed to Judaism? Yes. But committed to God's promised Messiah? No. They failed to connect Jesus to Yahweh's covenant promise of a son, a seed, a savior, a messiah, a promise given long before to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Moses, to David. Listen carefully to how Peter preached. And he told this now to devout religionists in their place of worship. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. You killed the author of life. That was direct. Notice three things about that striking sermon point. Number one, these unbelieving Jews denied the holy and righteous one. The holy one is a designation that the prophet Isaiah gave to Yahweh. Isaiah also referred to Yahweh as the righteous one, distinctive, uh, as holy. He was distinctive, transcendently distinctive, and other, and majestic, and perfect, and pure. And God alone is righteous, meaning he's just, he's morally upright, and without any sin, without any blemish at all, without any imperfection. And in Isaiah 53, God refers to his promised and suffering Messiah as the righteous one, my servant. Peter was applying the designation of the holy and righteous one to Jesus Christ, which was a clear connection to Isaiah and a clear affirmation of his divinity. These devout and religious people denied God by denying his Christ. Do you know what it means to deny Christ, the holy and righteous one? It means to reject Jesus Christ in unbelief. 
to, to disregard him as offensive or irrelevant or unnecessary, to refuse to trust in and follow him, to ignore his teaching, his very clear teaching, and to do whatever is right in your own eyes, to just make it up as you go along. And I think one of the most widespread ways that religious, very religious people, deny Jesus today is by their ignorance of Scripture. They don't know that the Jesus they believe in is not the real Jesus of Scripture. They, they deny the real Jesus by ignoring his self-revelatory word and invent their own Jesus who accepts their immorality, most notably their sexual immorality. Number two, these unbelieving Jews preferred a murderer to Jesus, the holy and righteous one. You remember what happened? The Jews cried out in unison to infamous Pilate, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Barabbas was a notorious criminal. He was not a nice guy. He was a robber who was incarcerated for murder during an insurrection. He was a bad dude. And the Jews were like, give us the guy who murders. Crucify the guy who heals people. And, and preaches the truth and makes us feel bad about ourselves and guilty about our self-righteousness. Kill that guy. They preferred evil to righteousness. During his earthly ministry, Jesus preached to these Jews, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. Jesus infuriated Jewish religious people because they thought they knew God and he told them, you are not of God. Telling devoutly religious people that they are not of God offends them. They don't like being told that. They were so offended they killed the author of life. Number three, these unbelieving Jews killed the author of life. The blood of the author of life was dripping from their hands and the hands of Rome. The Jews and Gentiles, because of their spiritual lameness, slayed the originator of life. The author of life was crucified on a Roman cross and died. I, just think about that. The one who spoke the universe into existence from nothing was killed. The one who formed dust into a human being was killed. The one who created and sustains conception and gestation and the birth of beautiful human beings was killed. The author of life was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And in Acts 2.23, Luke said that it happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus taught in John 10, 17 and 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. How mysterious is the sovereignty of God. 
as it works in the wickedness of humankind. It is true that the author of life was killed, and it is equally true that the author of life freely gave his life in fulfillment of his father's perfect and eternal plan of redemption. Why would the author of life freely give himself to be killed by lawless men who were living because of him? Why? Because humanity had broken God's law, broken God's covenant of works, and stood condemned under the law as lawbreakers. The, the prophet Isaiah explained why. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Brothers and sisters, the author of life gave his life as an offering, not for his guilt, but for our guilt. Jesus explained it this way, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, the author of life gave his life as a ransom for us. Paul explained it this way in Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Brothers and sisters, the author of life gave his life to rescue us from our sins, to deliver us from evil because God wanted him, because God sent him and in Romans 4.25, Paul adds something significant. He wrote, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Killed and raised for our justification. Back to Peter's gospel sermon. Peter preached, you killed the author of life. Remember now, these people, they actually told Pilate, his blood be on us and on our children. They said that. Yes, the blood of Jesus was on their hands. But then Peter added these glorious words, whom God raised from the dead. God raised the author of life from the dead. Miracle of miracles. The originator and founder and initiator of life was killed, but God raised him from the dead. The power of death and hell is broken. And everyone who trusts in his crucifixion and resurrection for salvation is justified. Peter had said in his Pentecost sermon that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because, and I love this part, it was not possible for him to be held by it. Awesome. Death could not hold the author of life because the author of life was intent on giving eternal life to God or, or to the people that God had given him to redeem. How does the resurrection of the author of life benefit believers? First, by his resurrection, the author of life has overcome death to share with us believers the righteousness which he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power and through faith, we are raised with the author of life to new life. 
Third, the resurrection of the author of life is for us true believers a pledge, a glorious pledge of our final and glorious resurrection, restoration, and glorification in his kingdom. Friends, it, it, it boils down to this. The gospel is the news of the crucifixion and resurrection of the author of life, Jesus Christ, which when truly believed, brings forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. This brings us to the right response. Let me start with the wrong response. That might be helpful. Later in his sermon in Acts 3, 22 and 23, Peter quoted the prophet Moses, and Moses was common ground, very good uh, sermon technique there, reached common ground with the listeners, and so Peter preached to them this. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Jesus Christ is that prophet. To deny the holy and righteous one, to deny the crucifixion of the author of life, to deny that God raised the author of life from the dead, to deny the preeminent prophet by shutting out his voice in the preaching of the gospel is to secure your own eternal destruction. Listen to the Son. Listen to the prophet. Every soul who refuses to listen to the author of life will be destroyed by God in hell. Is it clear? They'll be destroyed forever. Disregard and denial are not how to respond to the cross and resurrection of the author of life. But unbelief is not the only response. There is a better response to the gospel Peter explained it in simple and concise terms. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back. Repent and turn back. Scholar David G. Peterson explained, genuine repentance involves a radical reorientation of life. Turning back to God to seek reconciliation and to express a new obedience. Informed belief is an essential aspect of repentance. There can be now no genuine turning to God without acknowledging the centrality of Jesus to God's purpose as proclaimed in Peter's message and report. To repent, to turn back, is to receive grace from God and to hate your sin, to flee your sin as you receive Jesus Christ by faith. Repentance and turning to God is a radical reorientation of life, necessary for salvation. Re repentance is seeing ourselves as spiritual cripples without any hope of ever rising to walk and run in the kingdom of God and is fixing our eyes on Christ in true faith and receiving his gracious and powerful hand which raises us up and makes our legs strong to leap and to walk and to praise God in the joy of our spiritual healing and new life of glad and thankful obedience to God. We, we can either deny Christ and indulge in sin unto our eternal destruction, or we can deny our sin and indulge in Christ unto our eternal life. Peter preached in verse 16, and his name, 
by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Do you understand? The power of the name of Christ makes the lame and incapacitated soul leap up in new life and joy and thankfulness and Christ's saving power comes through faith in his name alone. Peter added in verse 16, the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health. Jesus sovereignly imparts faith. Jesus gives faith. Faith comes through Jesus. Amazing. Would you ask God for faith? Would you ask him for faith? As an impoverished and needy beggar on your knees without any hope to rise and walk, would you beg Christ to give you faith? And if he's already given you faith, praise the sovereign grace of God. Beg him to strengthen it. Beg him to build you up. Heidelberg Catechism question 60 asks, how are you righteous before God? And I love how clear, just straightforward and clear the answer is and how hopeful it is for incapacitated and impoverished and needy beggars like you and me. Listen to this. How are you made righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, yet God, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. If only I accept, if I receive it with a believing heart. True faith. That's good news. I, I hope it's clear. That's the best of news. If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. You don't have to go to work for it. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, the prerequisite is that you would be a mess. Lost, incapable, incapacitated. And you come to Christ and say, give, I am needy. Would you have alms for me? And he reaches down and he picks you up and he gives you a new life. I accept this, I receive this only with a believing heart. Repent of your sins, my friends, and turn back to God and accept Christ and all of his merits, all of his benefits with a believing heart. Someone said, faith is the empty hand by which sinners take hold of Christ and all his benefits. You come with an empty hand in need you and me, there is one right response to the gospel, true, saving, and enduring faith through which you, the impoverished beggar, receive Christ and the unfathomable blessing of his kingdom. Healing, restoration, joy, peace, comfort, love, life. 
it's all yours. It's all yours. When you put your confidence in Christ alone. That's ultimately why the lame beggar rose and walked and leaped, praising God with his new legs and his new life. He received Christ and he tasted the eternal pain. Christ made that lame beggar happy. Lastly, the unbeatable blessing. You can't beat this blessing, folks. All the pleasures of the world cannot beat this blessing. I don't care what pleasure you're enjoying, it will not beat this. Peter said, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Justification. Imagine a massive whiteboard, upon it written in black ink, heavy black ink, in column after column after column after column, all of your sins and all of your guilt expressed in plain English. And then the author of life comes along and erases your whiteboard. All the sins and guilt are gone. No more list, no more shame, no more condemnation. When you repent of your sins and turn back to God in faith, your sins are erased and the perfect record of Jesus is written on that board. It's considered yours. That's what the author of life does for you. He grants you his righteousness through faith alone. That's an unfathomable blessing. I can't describe it to you as powerful and as potent as that message is. It comes no other way. You can't erase your own sin. You can't erase your own guilt. You, you only write more on the board. Only the crucified and risen author of life can erase. Only he can erase. And write on your board in big, bold letters, righteous. But there's more. Peter added that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshment, relief, rest, reprieve. These are the marks of the messianic age. When you repent and turn back to God, you are given not only refreshment, relief, Rest, reprieve in this life as the spirit of God dwells in you, but you are also given it all in the next life. And what, dear friends, brings this refreshment? Peter said that times of refreshing may come, and what did he add? From the presence of the Lord. God raised the author of life to be your refreshment now and forever. But there's more, Peter added, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things. Jesus is alive and he is coming back here. Have you heard the good news? God will send the crucified and risen author of life back here. He is coming. He is terrifying. He is glorious. He is beautiful. He will return. You need to be ready to receive him with joy. He's coming back here. And what will he do? He will restore all things. This broken and messed up world will be restored under the reign of the sovereign king, Jesus Christ. And refreshment and relief and true rest will come. That is our hope as Christians because he returns victorious. He returns 
as the victorious, life-giving, glorious, redeemer, and reigning king. Later in verse 26, Peter preaches, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's ask the question, how does the author of life bless? He turns people from their wickedness to God. He turns people from their wickedness to God. That's his blessing. The unbeatable blessing of the crucified and risen author of life is turning us from our sin and guilt and misery to God. He turns us to God to glorify and to enjoy God forever. He is the prize that we receive. There, there are some churchgoers today that use the cross and resurrection as excuse to indulge in their life of sin as if they are forgiven and that grace is just an excuse to do whatever they want. They use grace to justify their immorality. This dishonors God. Titus 2 verse 14 expresses what the author of life has died and raised for. This is why we're here. Listen closely. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The cross and resurrection are good because they free us from the enslavement of sin and they purify us and they compel us to good works. Our new life in Christ is one of purity and one of good works. In 1964, Jean-Paul Sartre, the French existentialist author, won the Nobel Prize in Literature, and it was said he won the prize, quote, for his work which rich in ideas and filled with the spirit of freedom and the quest for truth has exerted a far-reaching influence on our age, end of quote. Interestingly, Pol Pot, and his associates said that Sartre's philosophy influenced their regime, which slaughtered over a million people in Cambodia. Ravi Zacharias said of Sartre, quote, he was a hedonistic, pleasure-oriented man, yet Jean-Paul Sartre himself, on his deathbed, finally said, I no longer can agree with the concept that this world doesn't have a designer. This world honors even authors who write ideas and words which destroy human life. All the while dismissing and denying the author of life who gives life. Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen author of life who gives eternal life to all who repent and turn to him in true faith. Oh, dear friend. Turn to Christ in truth. There's no other way to be rescued from the wrath and fury and righteousness of God. Turn to him in true faith. Trust in him alone. The crucified and risen author of life is beckoning you. He's calling to you now. He's showing you love right now by saying, repent of your sins and turn to God in true faith. And he's calling to you. He's telling you, do it to be blessed. Do it to be blessed forever in the presence of the author of life. Let's pray. God, you have been so merciful 
and gracious to us to speak so clearly in your word if we just pay attention to the word of Christ preached. We would hear your truth. We would hear who you are. We would hear the gruesomeness of the cross. We would hear the finality of the grave. We would hear the glorious resurrection of Christ, the Messiah, to conquer sin, Satan, hell, the grave. God, if we would only listen to that grand prophet who came and spoke so clearly, if we would only listen and run to Christ in faith to find ourselves justified by his merits alone, I pray that we don't boast in anything other than the cross, anything other than the resurrection, anything other than what you, a sovereign God, have done for us through Christ alone. We thank you for the message of the gospel. We thank you for the message of resurrection day. There is much to be thankful for. I pray, God, if there are those here who do not know you, that you would afflict their hearts, that they would be so uncomfortable at this preaching, that they would see the horrendousness of their sin and run to Christ to be blessed forever, that today the gates of hell would be blown off and people would run to you. The lame would get up and walk to you because you have, with your sovereignty and your grace, pulled them up from spiritual lameness and given them life in the preaching of the gospel. Do it for your glory, God. Do it for your glory, the glory of your awesome son. I pray for your people here today who delight in the cross, who know in humility their law-breaking. God, give them comfort, give them assurance, give them joy as they leave, having heard of what their Christ has done for them. And may they walk in the holiness and righteousness of Christ as he has commanded them and strengthened them to do by their Holy Spirit, or by, by your Holy Spirit, God. We love you, and let us respond now in grateful singing together. In Jesus' name and for his fame alone, we pray.